Today's episode of The Audible is brought to you by Trader Joe's. When you need snacks for game time, you need Trader Joe's. You'll score with interesting munchies like gochujang almonds and cornbread crisps and snacks like mango sticky rice spring rolls, all at prices that make you the winner. Learn more at TraderJoe's.com and at Trader Joe's on Instagram. Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. And, you know, it, it's we say this every time, when it looks like a light slate on paper, you often end up with a eventful set of games as we did on Saturday. Uh, for me, I, I didn't get to see a lot of stuff because uh, our game at Ohio State was in the middle of the day. But, man, the, the USC-Texas game live up to the hype. Wow. I exceeded it because obviously Texas had struggled looking bad against Maryland. But, you know, that game, once you got into late into the second quarter with some fireworks, um, it was a, it was just a really entertaining game, I thought. What do you think is going on with Sam Darnold? Because he has six interceptions through three games and at times, you know, has not looked like the Heisman contender you thought he would. But then, of course, at other moments, like the the now famous jump pass late in regulation against Texas – um, everybody kind of jumps back on the bandwagon. Is it that the, the that it's going to take him some time with the new receivers, the new offensive line, that sort of thing? I think it's a it's a lot of that. And look, one of the receivers, the one of the one of the interceptions, the pick six, that was a ball that should have been caught by one of his his receivers. So you know, a lot of times, I think when you are a star quarterback and you're hyped up so much, everybody focuses on when you got lucky with a pass that should have been picked off, or you know, it's. I think it's sometimes the interception numbers, you know, we read box scores and a lot of times, I'm not saying you're doing this in this case, but I think it's just, they're not going to be perfect. And even when they are good, it can look bad. And I think that's what happened. And, and except for Deontay Burnett, who is a terrific college receiver, they have a lot of inexperienced guys uh, trying to step in. And I think you see a lot of, a lot of moving parts kind of coming together and there will be the style he plays. I think there will be some hold your breath moments because he, a lot of times just, you know, he's so instinctive and in, in what he does, it can be spectacular and there can be some downsides to it. And I think we saw a little of that, uh, in my, I do, a, I know you do a Heisman top three, I do top five. I was tempted because I was like just about to file it on Saturday night as I'm watching him lead them, you know, back into overtime and, and, you know, with these great drives late, late down the stretch and tempted to put him in there. And I'm like, well, you know, he's thrown two interceptions in every game. And even if you say a couple of these weren't on him, you know, you expect him to be probably a little cleaner than that. But I still think he's going to be right there. If I'm a USC fan, I'm like, just let the train keep rolling on. And, and you know, like the defense looked, you know, they, they had guys make plays, but they looked shaky. And I think it was a little surprising that Texas bowed up as well as they did. And USC didn't run the ball like they were, you know, like they had in the past. Yeah, I think I learned my lesson with Deshaun Watson last year, not to get too too caught up in the interceptions. The guy's still a great player. Uh, but I was surprised, like you said. I mean, this is a Texas defense that, against Maryland, looked like Charlie Strong's defense all over again, couldn't tackle. And for most of that game, took it to USC. USC could not run the ball the way they could the first two games. Um, you know, I, I don't know what to make of USC at this point, but they are 3-0, and they have played – 
you know, are there any other teams out there whose first three games were against a team that won 13 games last year in Western Michigan, Stanford, Texas? You know, there's been no FCS or Sunbelt or anything. In no there. real cupcakes yet. Let yeah. me ask you, you mentioned Stanford. Uh, you were high on them. I was not. Uh, you reassessing now that they're one and two? Yeah, I think that they haven't solved uh, an issue that's been plaguing them for since Kevin Hogan left. You know, Keller Christ has gotten better as a quarterback, and I don't know how much it is on him, but they just have no downfield passing game. And I thought that might be the, a problem when I saw them in spring. They just don't have receivers that stand out to you. So that, and obviously defense not playing as well as you thought it would, though. You know, Rashad Penny had his moments for San Diego State, but for the most part, that was not a you know, that was a twenty to seventeen game where San Diego State won in the final minute. Great! Uh, I wrote all about San Diego State on Sunday. What a great story they are! You know, they've uh, Rocky Long. They've gotten better and better every year. And uh, you can think of another program, and I'm going to take Alabama out of the mix. That's had a run of running backs like they have with Ronnie Hillman, Donnell Pumphrey, and now Rashad Penny. Yeah, it's. I mean, look. For everyone knows about Rocky Long being this ultra aggressive defensive mind, but you're right. I mean, they've got it going offensively, and I think that, you know, the area they're in, there's a ton of talent that comes from that part of of California as well. So I think it's it's always been one of the best jobs, even with some of the stadium issues they've had. One of the best jobs. That's a not a that's not a power five, you know, program. They had a big stadium issue the other night. The lights went out. <laughs> Maybe that's what happens when you're down to one tenant who plays, you know, five or six games a year. Um, you know, it talked to, I talked to Rocky Long on Sunday, and I think what really distinguishes them from the other group of five upstarts in recent years is they're not a hurry-up spread team. They are the opposite. They are actually really kind of a mirror image of what Stanford tries to do. Um, line it up, pro-style, huddle, run the ball. And you just don't see that at that level anymore. But in his mind... That's a way that they have formed their niche. They got to form. You got to form a niche when you're at that level, and that's theirs. Are you buying Mr. Penny as a guy who has a shot? Would would have a shot to get to at least to get to New York for the Heisman? I think it's a it's hard to say because you know right now that seems pretty obvious. He was number three on our Heisman uh, All American Heisman poll, but you know he's played in in high profile games. Uh, we got to see if he'll manage to stay on the radar when they're playing in their Mountain West schedule. It certainly seemed last year like no matter how many big numbers Pumphrey put up, he just never could gain Heisman traction. Yeah, I think, um, you know, look, I mean, he had back-to-back Pac-12 opponents, you know, one being a very formidable one in Stanford. The other one, Arizona State, is a mess at this point. But still, you know, he's averaging almost 200 yards rushing in those two games. I think it was 196 yards. It's just... You wonder, is he going to drift off the radar unless he puts up, you know, mind-boggling numbers this year? And it's entirely possible he could in the in the Mountain West after what he's done. I mean, he's a he's a different kind of back than Pumphrey. He's a bigger back. He's explosive because you see what he's done in the return game. You know, for for much of his career, I think people who are just hearing him now may not know that he was a you know two-time Mountain West Special Teams Player of the Year. So he's he's definitely a dynamic player, and it's uh, good to kind of you know, spotlight some guys who sometimes drift off the radar, especially when they play those late night games on our side of the country. Did I, uh, did, by getting to this now, did I step on your shout out for later? You did. You did. You, you oh. trampled all over, but that's okay. I will find something else to do, but, uh, but yes, we're, we're going there. So let me, so while we're 
our, our podcast is a little later than normal. We would want to put it out there. So we went on weigh in a ton on last weekend, but uh, I think by now, I think everyone looks at Clemson and go, okay, Kelly Bryant and Clemson are for real. Um, anything else you took from that? Was it more of, wow, they just were just that much better than Louisville even on the road or anything that, that jumped out at you from that matchup? Well, I think Louisville the last couple of years when Todd Grantham was there was actually pretty good on defense, and I don't think they are this year. You know, it's not started with the Purdue game week one. So um, I, I want to be excited for Kelly Bryan. I think he obviously showed himself uh, on a spotlight stage in his first career road start. Um, but I also have a feeling a lot of quarterbacks are going to do that to Louisville this year, especially without their top cornerback. Um, well, what can you say? Uh, I'm done doubting them. They clearly seem like a team that's going to be in the mix for the national championship again. And that starts with just an unbelievable defense that, you know, Lamar Jackson had 1,010 yards in his first two games. He got them into the end zone once while the game was still a contest. Uh, he, you know, it, it was take, took you back a little bit to late last season when he, his offensive line struggled. But I, it's like I can't really fault them. It's Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence and Dorian O'Daniel. I mean, it's just it's an absolutely loaded defense. Yeah, I, I had a, we had Ohio State this weekend, and Ohio State has a deep, deep collection of defensive linemen. It's an impressive group. The one group that I I wonder if it's even better than them, and I don't know if it's deeper, but the 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 starters when you're that dominant inside like they are. Um, you know, I don't know. Who do you think has the best D-line in the country? Well, Ohio State is as deep as they come at defensive end, for sure. Uh, the fact that Nick Bosa doesn't stay on the field as much as, as often as he should, probably, because they just have so many other good guys they want to get out there. Um, but I find it hard to believe that across the front four, you're going to find a starting front four, you're going to find a better group than Clemson's. And that's been building now for several years. Um, how many programs have of Vic Beasley, and then they move on to the next year, and it's Shaq Lawson, and they move on to the next year, and it's Dexter Lawrence. Like, they, they just keep reloading up there. Yeah, I mean, it's been great recruiting. They're in an area where they, they grow a lot of impressive defensive linemen, so they have done a, a pretty awesome job in putting it together. So it was definitely, uh, you know, I thought what they did at Auburn, and obviously they built off it and just absolutely whipped Louisville. So what impressed you more, that or uh, Mississippi State beating LSU 37-7? to You know, I think given what Lamar Jackson had done, and, and look, you were at that game last year, I think that probably impressed me more. I mean, I, I thought what Mississippi State did, Nick Fitzgerald was terrific, and I thought that they, uh, you know, they blew that game open in the second half. But just, you know, look, Danny Etling, was anybody looking at Danny Etling and saying he was a Heisman guy? I mean, that was the big issue with them. So I'm not sure we looked at, at that offense and saying, OK, you can you can dominate that. I just thought what Clemson did was on a different scale. I mean, now, having said that, I bumped up Mississippi State into my at the back end of my top 10 because I thought that was a really impressive performance. But to go on the road and just completely dismantle Louisville like they did. Um, to me, that was just a, you know, that was a statement like, hey, we're, don't write us off. We're going to be right in the middle of that playoff mix. Whereas Mississippi State, I'm not, you know, I think they're a good team. 
And I think Jeffrey Simmons, who's a guy who was obviously a very controversial rec- recruit that Mississippi State took, he is a hell of a player on the football field. I mean, just he was he was probably the best defensive player in that game. And that's, just, you know, considering there's a lot of good players on both sides of the ball, that was a big statement. Do you think Mississippi State is the, is the, the second best team in the SEC this year? Well, I think we're going to find out this week because I think the second and third best teams, and I'm not sure what order yet, are playing Saturday night in Athens. I think it's Georgia and Mississippi State. Um, I think Georgia has an incredible defense. Notre Dame ran for 515 yards on BC the other day and 400-something yards on Temple. Not total offense, running the ball. And against Georgia, they ran for 55. This is, this is an un- unbelievable defense Kirby Smart has. Now, the, the flip side of that is you're, taking, you're trying to win a championship with a true freshman quarterback. And you know Mississippi State, I think they're very good on defense. They certainly showed that the other night. I doubt they're at the level of Georgia's, but they have a difference-making quarterback. And, you know, that this is what I thought would happen. Nick Fitzgerald had a you know, very promising freshman season, mostly as a runner, not so much as a passer. And you figured with Dan Mullen's track record of these guys, he would take a big jump this year, and he has. He's uh, really fun to watch. He, he just runs that offense extremely well. Yeah, just to correct, I think Nick Fitzgerald's a junior, so last year was his. Uh, you're right, yeah, yes. Yeah. So. First year starting last year. Yeah. Um, speaking of the SEC, I, so while my game is going on, you know, usually I, I'm, I'm not being able to watch anything. You know, it's usually for about a five-hour block, about two hours before the – an hour and a half before the game and whatnot. But one, one of the, like, the partial scores that kept on going up was, why is Auburn struggling so much against Mercer? You know, it's just like, and this happened last year where I think they played Jacksonville State and it came right down to the wire and it was the same thing. I think that was a couple years ago, yeah. Okay, maybe it was two years ago. Uh, It was happening during one of my games. I'm like, whoa, this is, you know, turning out to be interesting. Uh, What do you make of what's going on with that offense? Because they got absolutely crushed, you know, on that side of the ball by Clemson the week before and then had their hands full with a 1AA program like Mercer. They were supposed to be good on offense. Yeah, well, Jarrett Stidham was the great hope, and uh, they can't get out of their own way. Um, their offensive line clearly has issues. They committed a lot of penalties the other night. I didn't see the game. I read about it afterward, and it sounded like Gus Malzahn was beside himself with the penalties. So, you know, it's so far it seems like more of the same. Now, the 2013 team that played Florida State – you know, nobody would have guessed four games in that season that that offense would end up, you know, doing what it did by the end of the season. It just got better and better and better. So there is that chance to improve. But right now, you're not seeing it. Yeah, right now they are 102nd in the country in offense. Ouch. Yeah. That would not bode well for him. Look, the hot seat coaches coming into the year in the SEC have done nothing to help their cause. You know, Malzahn, obviously Kevin Sumlin, who for the second week in a row – struggled into the fourth quarter with last week it was Nichols State, this week it was Louisiana Lafayette. Um, and then, of course, our friend Butch Jones, who lo- suffers another excruciating loss to Florida on a Hail Mary. That team, you know, for all the recruiting rankings and whatnot, uh, they have one player that impre- – well, two. Two players that impressed me. But, you know, the guy I'm thinking of most is John Kelly, who's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Other than that, there's really not much that distinguishes Tennessee. Yeah, look, I, I think you used the right word a minute ago where you said excruciating. If you're a Tennessee fan, I mean, geez, man, you've been through a lot of stuff in the last decade. 
you know, from the, all the Lane Kiffin stuff that was packed in a, a year to the awful run of Derek Dooley and then to this roller coaster ride of Butch Jones. I mean, just, the, you know, just the, I don't know, losing every possible way, even winning some ways where you're just kind of like, you know, drenched in sweat probably at the end of the four hour, you know, roller coaster. I don't know. Cause I, I think that they showed enough in their, in their first game to, to say, okay, there's some good young talent here. They have some pieces in place. Maybe they can get on, on a ride, but it's after a while you start wondering on, oh, man, is this just destined not to work? And there were just to get to the point where you're just going to be maybe eight and four. And that's the best it's going to be. I don't know. I mean, considering that last year was their opportunity. I mean, that team, you know, with Josh Dobbs and Alvin Kamara and, you know, all kinds of guys. On well, Der- Der- Derek Barnett was the great player that on defense yeah. and was a leader. But now they were really banged up on defense. They had a bunch of guys injured. So I think that window closed. That window closed with them losing to, what, Kentucky and Vanderbilt? I mean, it was it was rough. So they've gone 9-4 and four the last two years. I would be stunned if this one ends up being any better than that. So I don't think he'll be back. I don't think some you think they're gonna you think they're gonna fire him? Oh yeah, how could they not? Wow, what is he? What has he done there? Well, he's definitely got them better than they were when he arrived. The high point of the Tennessee football era under Bush Jones was clobbering Northwestern in the Outback Bowl. That's it. That that's the, the the single you know that's that was the pinnacle. And this is Tennessee. This is Peyton Manning, checkerboard end zones. Uh, you know, you're supposed to compete for at least SEC championships, and they're not any not they're not close to that level. I'm going to ask you a question, and I think I know your answer already. If I say, okay, who are you going to get as a better hire? And you're going to say, I'm going to the state of Indiana. Who, Jeff Brom? Yeah. Do you think, so that keeps happening, right? His name keeps, people keep mentioning him because he's off to a great start at Purdue, as I expected. You really think he'll leave there after one year? I don't know. I honestly don't know that if that he would. I mean, we have Purdue this week um, against Michigan. I don't know if he would leave there for, you know, for what job would he go? I mean, he's a Louisville guy. Um, you know, I said this last year, I think Purdue had the best hire of anybody. They did. You know, I mean, he, he was one 30 and 10 in three years at Western. I mean, he's, he's a really good offensive coach. He's by coaching standards. I would say also pretty egoless. I think he would fit just about anywhere. Um, but I don't know. I mean, is that what is, do you want to see where you know what you can do there, how much you can build it, and and what would it take to get somebody to leave there? I don't know, but I think, and that's whether they win this week against Michigan or not. Although if they do beat Michigan, then all of a sudden it kicks it into another gear. I think that's going to be a question you're going to hear a lot of. I mean, this is a Purdue program that hadn't won back-to-back games for five years and hadn't beaten a, a Power Five conference team on the road in 12 years. By the way, add Barry Odom to that list of SEC coaches who are in trouble. I mean, it's. They could end up wipe. Somebody will turn, get things turned around out of that group, um, but, but they could end up wiping out. I don't know. A good I number know. of coaches. Can in Missouri SEC. really fire Barry Odom after less than two years? I, if they go two and ten, I think they probably will. Uh, they are. Know. They are miserable. I don't know if you can fire a coach, especially if it's not scandal related. Do you think they could do what Kansas State did with Bill Snyder and talk Gary Pinkle into coming back? No, I don't. I don't. I don't think Gary Pinkle would come back yeah. after his. You know, like, and he was a Barry Odom guy. I just don't see that. I mean, that program is a mess, and you know, it really wasn't that long ago they were playing back-to-back SEC title games. 
But yeah, Brom, um, look, Purdue football is exciting to watch now. And when's the last time you could say that? And this game you're doing this week, and by the way, I didn't know this was your game until you just said it, is one of the more intriguing ones in the country this week. I mean, Michigan has... Uh, Sputtered on offense. That, one touchdown and 10 trips inside the red zone. That's pretty... Not good. That's brutal. Yeah, it's second worst in the whole country. Do you think... But do you think Purdue can... I mean, I just don't think... I, I think Purdue could um, hang with them for a while. But at some point, that the talent gap is too much. Yeah, who knows? I mean, look, Purdue almost beat Louisville. They did. Uh, I mean, the way Michigan's offense is playing, if Michigan's offense does not play a lot better, uh, you know, I, the matchup I'm most curious about in this game is Don Brown, the defense coordinator against Michigan. They're really talented on that side of the ball against Jeff Brom. I mean, I mean, they get rid of the ball in a hurry. I just, I, I don't know. I mean, Purdue can't afford any mistakes, and that was the issue in the past. But um, we'll see. It's got, I think it'll be a fun atmosphere. They're expecting a sellout, and I can't imagine they've had many of those in a long time. At one of my, I actually really like uh, that stadium, and in particular, uh, have you been to Ross Aid Stadium before? I have never been there before in my life. It's my first trip. You're going to see the world's biggest drum. Okay. Yeah, that's that's one of the that's Purdue's thing. That enormous drum. Okay, I will. Uh, I will make sure. I will make sure to check it out. I'll be on the field, so I'll be able to see it. This um, is really going to date me, but my previous trip to there was uh, 20 years ago. Uh, they were see, good then. That was see, like that was Tiller's first year. But that was the beginning of it. Like We didn't yeah. know yet that they were going to be good. They hadn't been in a long time. Northwestern went there, I want to say late September. We went to the game. We were in the seats behind the end zone. And yeah, I was like, wait a minute. Who is this Billy Dickin, and why is he throwing, <laughs> <laughs> throwing all over the field? Yeah, that's that's why I liked the Jeff Brom hire. It, it felt to me a lot like when Purdue hired Joe Tiller, hiring a guy who's ahead of the curve in terms of offensive innovation. I mean, what he was doing at Western, I know that's a lot of what Bobby Petrino was doing before that. Um, is especially with the passing game, is is you know top of the field right now. Yeah, it's definitely been a program that's been dormant for a long, long time, and so you know we'll see. I mean, obviously they're better than they have been. We'll see just how much better. Uh, hey, one na- one name, and I was going to throw it out to you. Just as a media guy who covers college football, and I don't, I don't want this to turn into a bash session, but Josh Allen got a ton of hype going into the start of this year. The Wyoming quarterback, you know, huge arm, athletic kid, was un- way under the radar. No other offers. Uh, goes to Wyoming, and he's faced two Power Five teams this year. And really struggled. And if you go back to last year, the game against Nebraska, against three Power 5 opponents, one touchdown, eight picks, and has completed just 50% of his passes. Now, for more context, last year when he did that that bad game, uh, he was just kind of getting his feet set. But they really did have pretty good skill talent around him. Three of his players, a running back and two receivers, are now in the NFL. Those guys are gone. The The supporting cast is really, really bad. Um, relative to what it was. And I've seen people saying, oh, he should have come out earlier and everything like that. What do you make of this at this point as, I just think, as you cover it? I think it was a um, manufactured storyline. You know, it was like, you know, you, you cover college football extremely closely, as do I. I had heard nary a word about Josh Allen until this draft cycle when all of a sudden every NFL draft expert was telling us this guy's going to be the next um, Carson Wentz. 
And so everybody, so the NFL draft section of the media starts that message. And then the college writers feel like, oh, okay, well, I guess I better go out there and check this out for myself. And so now you've got everybody and their mother doing a Josh Allen feature. And I don't know if it was ever, as you know, nobody knows how the NFL teams really feel about those underclassmen. You know, that could have been a couple of guys who do mock drafts getting, um, you know, outsmarting themselves. I think it's a little more than that, but I, I don't know if here's the here's what I would say about that is it's not every you know like person who does something is saying it, but I think if it takes a couple like the night of the uh, and I'm not going to try to give too much of this away, but the night of the Thanksgiving, I'm out at at A and M. That's the LSU A and M game, and I run into a, a guy I've known for years who's an NFL scout, and he had talked about Josh Allen. He thought he was like a mid round pick at that point. Now that was whatever it was late November. You know, big arm, really raw. But that was the thought of if he comes out, he's a mid-round, you know, fourth, fifth, you know, round guy. And then all of a sudden, it just like really takes off at some point. And I don't know if he would have come out what would have been. Um, and that's not to say Josh Allen can't be a, a starter in the NFL, you know, next year or three years from now. Who knows? But it's just very interesting to see kind of, you know, like, I don't even know if this is such a... You know, because we talked about it, the process is so murky and who knows, because they haven't done, you know, a deep dive into them. You know, and you'll have Craig Ball and his staff, who, by the way, and that sweet in the story, did have Carson Wentz at North Dakota State. So you'd think they, you know, it's not like they would know better than anybody what, what they had and what they have. But just in the, you know, I saw that Oregon defense and yeah, Jim Levitt's a really good coach. But at one point, I think Josh Allen was like three for 17 for like 15 yards. It's just... It's just surprising if you think you were talking first pick of the draft, you would have expected, you know, a lot more than that. Josh Allen currently does not rank. He does not even rank in the top 100 quarterback pass efficiency. So think about how hard that is. There's 130 teams. Uh, Tanner Lee is 99th, and he's had about as rough a start as you can get. Kellen Mond is 94th. Keller Christ is 87th. Josh Allen is below all Quentin Dormady. Uh, he's below all of those guys. So you could make a list of the flavor of the month draft. Court. I mean, David Fields at San Jose State. Uh, there's always one going to be one of those that, oh, he could be a first-round pick. He could be a first-round pick. I remember when um, Brett Hundley was going into his last season, and I covered Pac-12 Media Days and talked to Jim Mora, and he was definitely of the opinion, and I know it's you know it's his coach. He's going to speak uh, glowingly about him, that he would be the number one pick. He not just quarterback, like he should be the number one pick. That's how good he was. He ends up going in the fourth round. Think about how much hype Matt Barkley got as a college quarterback, fourth round. Nobody really knows how the NFL feels about them until they go through that process. Yeah, and even then, like I said, you know, it's it's such a different taste thing. I, I think I said this on the podcast recently. Saturday night in, in Indianapolis at the Combine, I run into a guy who knows way more about quarterbacks than almost anybody I know. He's like, oh, it was a you know, an NFL offensive coordinator. He, that's what he's doing now. And he was so down on Pat Mahomes. Now, Pat Mahomes is not like he's in the Hall of Fame, but he's a, you know, was a top 10 draft pick. And everybody, well, a lot of people there seem to love him for, uh, with, the, with the Chiefs. So, you know, it's just like beauty's in the eye of the beholder, I guess. Um, Josh Allen is a guy, I guess, who you would say falls in the disappointing category. Um, we've mentioned Stanford, LSU. Um, the flip side of that, you mentioned Oregon. I mean, 
which of these teams would you be that are kind of surprising people so far? Would you be uh, most likely to say, "Oh yeah, they're going to end up winning a bunch of games"? Oregon, Cal, now three and zero after beating Ole Miss the other night, or Purdue? Mark me down for Cal because I wow. did not think I did not think that they would win more than three games this whole season. Now I think Justin Wilcox did a great job putting a staff together. His two coordinators. Bo Baldwin, who is a really successful coach at FCS, and Tim DeRuder, who was a terrific defensive coordinator before he was the head coach at Fresno State. And I think the personnel they have there, especially considering there's no Davis Webb to run the offense, yeah, they got really good receivers, but not that much else, I thought. You know, to win, they beat North Carolina. That's a solid win. I get it. They were replacing quarterback, but also beat Ole Miss. Ole Miss has players. I mean, Ole Miss has a lot of firepower on offense. And Shea Patterson is is one of the more talented quarterbacks playing college football. And to hold them under 20 points, even if, you know, on the road or home, I don't care. That's pretty strong. So for me, um, Cal is getting my shout out this week. And, and Justin Wilcox, first time head coach. Uh, I think it's been pretty very, very impressive what they've done so far. There you are. Your official shout out is yes. to Justin Wilcock. I feel like that this this thing is going to become such a popular segment. We're going to have to record a jingle. Well, let's see if Rob Stone can get his buddy Alexi Lawless to fire up his mandolin or whatever Alexi's playing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally surprised by Cal, and especially, you know, they were so bad on defense under Sonny Dykes. Just, you know, Texas Tech, Arizona State bad. And they're so, they, they, at least so far, great returns. So uh, Tim, Tim DeRuiter getting it done here in the Bay Area. Uh, I guess that means I need to do my shout-out. That is true. Go for it. And we already did San Diego State. So it's not going to be that. Are you doing um, this on the fly mentally right now? You're yeah, just kind of going through your Rolodex? Yeah, you caught me off guard a little bit. Um, my Okay, I, I'll, I, no, actually, it's not that. Upset. My shout-out is to Derek Mason. Uh, I did not think he got off to such a brutal, brutal start as a head coach at Vanderbilt that I didn't necessarily think he'd still be the coach at Vanderbilt right now. They turned it around about halfway through last year. They were able to get to a bowl game. Now they've got a legit, legit defense. Kansas State came there the other day. Jesse Ertz, good quarterback. They score seven points. Vanderbilt has allowed 13 points in three games. I think... That might change Saturday when Alabama comes to town, but they are being given the spread on the Alabama Vanderbilt game. I believe is nineteen and a half. That is less than Alabama uh, was favored by in the Iron Bowl last year. Like people now, at least respect Vanderbilt enough to think of them as on the same level as that Auburn team that went to the Sugar Bowl last year. So, hats off to Derek Mason, who you know when he was at Stanford, the the game plans they had to completely shut down Marcus Mariota were, you know, some of the better defensive performances I've seen. And now he's doing it, Andy. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the, the two guys who I think were most like lift your head up from the, from the table guys at the sec media media sessions were, were uh, Brett Bielema, who's always entertaining and Derek Mason, who I think uh, came across as, you know, it's rah rah, but you know, you come away going, oh, I feel better about, uh, you know, the, the sounds like the direction of Andy. I'm kind of buying into what he's doing. 
He did that all, I thought, quite a bit last year. I know you were there in, in Alabama last year, but definitely this year. And so he's got a pretty good quarterback. Shermer is playing very efficiently. You know, Ralph Webb was one of the most underrated running backs and really star players in the country. But like you said, this guy was a defensive guy. And, uh, you know, I don't – I mean – if I tell you, what percent chance would you give them to pull this upset? I know that's not like a All 42 right, so point. I'm glad you brought that or said it that way because as, as, as USC desperately tried to send that game to overtime, I just kept thinking about how you asked me a percentage of Texas. And you said 8%. And I said 8%. And here it was about to happen. So almost happened. Um, hmm. I think Vandy beating Alabama straight up, huh? It's going to be rocking in Nashville. It really is. Um, although it'll probably be mostly Alabama fans. I will give it a uh, – they just beat a ranked Kansas State team. I will give it a 19% chance. Wow. I will do – I think I said 15% last week. I will do a 12%. Okay. I mean because USC to me is not as good as Alabama. Uh, and I still don't know if you know Vandy in these situations is – Tom Herman had pulled off some upsets already, so. I could see it being, you know, I mean, look, it's impossible. It's entirely possible Jalen Hurts will struggle against that defense uh, or they won't be able to run the ball like Alabama usually does. I just don't see Vandy scoring hardly at all. Wow. Okay. I mean, Schirmer's playing pretty good He now. is playing pretty well, but it's not like they're, you know, running up you know, huge scores here. I, I don't know. I'd say it'd be like a. Alabama will win like 20... 27-7? I was about to say 24-7, something like that. Okay. All right, I'm saying 27-7. Are you surprised that that is the CBS 330 game, not Mississippi State-Georgia? I am. Why is that? They picked it last week. I guess they didn't think oh, maybe Mississippi they didn't State think would beat LSU. would do what they did, yeah. yeah. Still, I mean... I, I, mean, I just... I love that that other matchup, Mississippi State, Georgia. Part of it is just my head, I think it is. But you know, Nick Fitzgerald's in a, a Georgia kid. Georgia didn't offer him. Now he's at Mississippi State. You know, I want to see how they do. You know, after a, after a huge win for them. You know, now they got to go on the road. It's a lot different. So I'm very I'm I'm intrigued. All right, last thing you were sideline reporter for that Ohio State Army game. Tell us what what's the update? Have they solved all their offensive issues? No, I don't think they've solved them all. I think what what we saw, and they faced a team that plays good defense, but they're they're basically out out athlete army, you know. And they did a ton of stuff on the perimeter and and bubble screens and stuff behind the line, and a, just basically a lot of things that were RPO related that JT handled well. I mean, I think they probably took five shots downfield. Maybe he hit two. Um, and there was one that was probably should have been caught, and there was another one that was caught that was, you know, wasn't a great throw because the receiver was a, you know, kind of really behind a wide open receiver. And I think that's what they're going to judge him on, um, you know. And I think that when you look at them in person, again, as this was against Army, it wasn't like they were against Oklahoma, so the, you know, the, there was quite a disparity. I, when we talked to Jeff Munkin, the head coach at Army, I had asked him how many guys on your team do you think would would be on the two deep at power fives. And I think he said three or four, you know, they have a linebacker who was offered by Stanford, Notre Dame, and they have another guy who was at big 10 offers, but it's a difference. But what you, what you really jump out at and see is JK Dobbins is looks fantastic in person. I mean, just how quick he is 
and working his way through traffic. I mean, he, once they get Mike Weber, you know, a hundred percent from that hamstring or close to it, I think that's, they're going to do a ton of damage on people just because they're so good running the football. The left side of the offensive line is really good. Now the right side is, 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 is lacking, especially by Ohio state standards. But I think that's the question. And then the other issue, which is, you know, the pass defense, which got exposed against Oklahoma and Baker Mayfield, you know, Greg Schiano had told us, basically, you're gonna have to push pause because you can't even worry about it the week you're playing a triple option team. I think it will get better as some of these young defensive backs get time. But what I come back to is, I think really the only one in the Big Ten who can exploit it and have a chance to exploit it in any way the way that that Oklahoma did is Penn State. Because the Penn State has, you know, McSorley's a good quarterback. Obviously, they have a fantastic running back. And they have big athletic receivers. I'm not sure who else, you know, like we see Michigan struggling with it. I don't think, you know, anybody else there has the kind of, you know, attack as on that level. And, you know, we'll see. I mean, Urban Meyer's been through this before where they've, they've struggled, you know, in week two or week three. And then he's gone off and won national titles. It's happened a couple of times now. So there's people there who are not panicking. I'll say that. Ohio State's next few games are against UNLV, at Rutgers, Maryland, and a team I know can't take advantage of it, at Nebraska, before Penn State comes to town on October 28th. So, um, yeah, I don't think we'll really know much more about that till that Penn State game. But uh, speaking of Penn State, there's a trap game this week in the Big Ten. Penn State, a lot of good Penn State teams have gone to Iowa City and not come back. I mean, it's... Hey, Michigan went there and had a, had their hands yeah. full, right? So last year, I Iowa at night. I, I would not. Uh, I would not necessarily chalk that up for the Nittany Lions necessarily as a gimme. But let, let me ask you this: so I, our game, not this week, but the week after, is Iowa at Michigan State. Which team do you think has a better chance? They both have big games this week. Iowa, as you mentioned, plays Penn State. Michigan State plays Notre Dame. Which of those teams has a better chance? to come into that undefeated i think you got to say michigan state i mean i I know notre dame is looks better but notre dame doesn't have saquon barkley and trace mcsorley you know it's it's a a different animal that's a good point yeah Yeah. i would agree with that but you know i'm that's gonna be an interesting one this week well we'll i feel like michigan state football went into hibernation for the past year and this will be my first time really watching them closely since they went in that tailspin so we'll see yeah, I mean, look, I think they're tough enough to be in every game, but I don't think they have much margin for error either at this point. All right, so, gosh, you're going to spend a few days in West Lafayette this week, huh? Yeah, I've actually never been. I One of this, like, you know, like when you're a little kid, you grow up with, you know, somebody that one of your childhood friends is like you've known since you were like four years old. I have one of those. His He was a legacy. His dad went to Purdue. He went to Purdue. So I've heard all my life about Purdue, and this is my first trip to go in there. When I first graduated from college and moved to Atlanta to work at what was then CNNSI, um, I, after a few months, got an apartment with a roommate with a guy I worked there with there named Brian Crane, and he was Purdue Pete in college. He had really, yeah, he had the uh, the Purdue Pete uh, head and the hammer. So, because that is a pretty cool mascot. Yeah, I always thought the Purdue Pete looked a lot like Gene Keedy. <laughs> um, did he not? <laughs> I never thought about that before. Uh, a little bit, yeah. Now that you mention it, yeah. Gene Cady, circa mid-90s maybe? Yeah, I always kind of thought that would came hand in hand. But um, 
So I'm excited. Anybody, anybody who's listening has restaurant tips for the West Lafayette area, please send them forward or bar tips. By the way, the area we stayed in in Columbus, the short north area. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I've been to Columbus a lot. We never stayed. We stayed at the Joseph or the Jason. I forgot what the name of the hotel was. It was a new, you know, very new hotel. It was nice. And in the area, it was a really cool area of Columbus. That is the so. that is a really cool part of Columbus. Columbus has come a long way over the last 10, 15 years. It really has. Yeah. So, um, yeah, fun. Uh, it was a fun weekend in Columbus. You know, it's just, it was a packed house, even if, you know, it wasn't like they were paying a top 10 opponent. And, um it's just it's just good good vibe to be around there. Before we go, I want to make sure people are aware that uh, if you enjoy listening to college football podcasts, my company, the All American, has its own college football podcast now. It is called Wait for It, the All American Podcast. And you, Man, you are just full of shilling for your stuff. We got your brother's music on <laughs> this. You know, now it's your shilling for Max and Chantel and Nicole's yeah, podcast. That's, that's who it is. It's Nicole Auerbach, Chantel Jennings, and Max Olson. They host the All American Podcast. It's fun. They have a good chemistry, good conversations. And Bruce, when you launch a company from scratch, you have to show for it relentlessly. I'm not going to um, hold back on that. We are trying to make people aware of our, of our product. No, I get it. I get it. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Subscribe to The Audible on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Our producer is Lindsay Fulton. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. Check out their music on iTunes and Spotify. Follow Stu on Twitter at SL Mandel. Follow Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB. And for updates on Stu's new site, The All-American, follow The Athletic CFB. We'll see you next time.